we invest, as Pastor Steve said, in the now generation? As I'm, as I'm hanging out with young adults and, and mentoring uh, the, 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 the younger demographic, typically the number one thing that I want them to understand is that Jesus must be your number one priority. That's the, that's the primary goal. That's our primary goal. But the reality is that doesn't just go for younger peeps. Those of us who are a little bit older, and I think I'm in that demographic now, when I wake up sometimes and my back reminds me, of, oh, you, you shouldn't have played basketball yesterday. You, know, you, you get to that point where you're, you realize, oh, I'm closer to the 50-year-olds than I am the, the 16-year-olds. And I think sometimes we can assume, well, those younger people need to be mentored. Those younger ones, they need to be equipped or challenged. But the reality is the challenge is for us as well. It's a, the reminder that Jesus must truly be number one. So that's the question I ask you this morning, and ask, ask yourself honestly, is Jesus truly number one in my life? I was in India several years ago. I've, been, I've had the privilege and honor of being on multiple mission trips in my life. I was in the nation of India. I've been there multiple times. And I was in a taxi cab, and the taxi cab driver uh, was driving this little vehicle, and to call it even a car would be not accurate, but it was this little vehicle we were on, and on the dashboard, he had these three little, like little mini bobblehead dolls. I was like, oh, that's interesting, what, what is that? And so I, he said, oh, these are, these are the gods that I follow. I said, oh, interesting. He goes, see, in India, we believe in many gods, and for those of you who don't know, the Hindus of India, they have millions and millions of different gods, and they pick and choose which ones they want to worship. And so some people typically pick, they usually pick a few hundred or a few thousand even in most parts of the country, they have different gods they worship. And he said to me, he goes, oh, you're from America, right? So yeah, he goes, oh, so you're a Christian, right? Because they assume that all people in the United States are Christians. I said, well, yeah, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. He goes, oh. He goes, I like the Christians because you don't follow a lot of gods. Like me. I don't follow thousands and thousands of gods. I only follow three gods. <laughs> and he was... And he was really proud of himself. This was like a big deal to him. He had come to the realization that following thousands of gods was a bad idea. So he had narrowed it down to only three. Shiva, Vishnu, and Jesus. He goes, I follow Jesus just like you. He is one of my three gods. I remember thinking to myself, that's, that's not quite how it works. And we, we had a dialogue about it. And it's easy to sort of laugh about that. Maybe even, even a little easy to sort of mock that, that ideology. But the reality is many of us, we're in the exact same boat. Now, maybe we don't have little mini bobbleheads of the gods we serve. Maybe they don't look like spiritual beings or they don't, they're not, they don't go by God-like names. But many of us worship Jesus and alongside him we worship something else and something else and something else. It's easy to think, man, that's crazy. But many of us, we worship Jesus and we worship our job. Or we worship Jesus and we worship money or financial security or financial stability. And Jesus is not the number one priority. He is maybe number two or number three in our lives sometimes. Or maybe he's tied for number one with multiple other things in our lives. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if that is you, that is not the calling on the life of the Christian. Many of us worship family. We say our family is number one. Your family is important, but it's not number one. Your marriage is important. It's not number one. People's opinion of us sometimes is something we worship, we're enslaved to. I, I know so many people that spend so much time projecting the perfect image on social media. People who, 
who are sports fanatics to the point where they worship it. And I love sports. I love watching sports. But, but I'll tell you, my love for sports doesn't compare to my love of Jesus. Or there have been moments when it does, and I recognize it's inappropriate. It's sin. Here, here in the United States, the biggest thing I think we worship often, inappropriately, the thing that we make a number one priority, often above Jesus, is our own comfort and safety. It's the thing we worship. We are, we are people who look for things to worship other than worshiping the one who deserves to be worshiped. So this morning I ask you this question. And I, just genuinely ask yourself this. Is Jesus really number one in my life? Is he really number one in my life? And for some of you, the answer might be yes. And that is awesome. And I'd encourage you to keep going. But I know people enough, and I've watched my own life, to know that many of us have moments and seasons where he's not really number one. Maybe he's in the top five, but he's not number one. If we examined your life, would it be obvious to all of us that he really is number one in your life? Like if, if we went to your spouse and said, what's the number one most important thing in your spouse's life? Would they say, oh, it's Jesus, and there's not a close second? Or would they say, yeah, I think, I think he loves Jesus, kind of. If I asked your kids, what would they say? If I asked your classmates, if I asked your coworkers, if, if we were able to examine the moments where you're alone, if we took all your alone moments right now and we plastered them up on the screens, would it be obvious to everyone in this room, oh, that person, Jesus is number one. If we looked at your bank statements or your calendar, would it be obvious to us that Jesus is number one? If we looked at what you look at on social media, would it be obvious? If we pulled up your YouTube history, which by the way, you can do. If you pulled up your YouTube history, would it be obvious by what you're watching that Jesus is number one? If we could look inside your head, if we could take what's going on in your head on a regular basis and, and plaster it up on the screens, would it be obvious to us that guy, that girl, she loves Jesus. Would it be obvious to us that, that Jesus truly is your number one? In the movie of your life, is Jesus clearly the main character? Is he the rock star of your life, or did he just play some background role? I think this is the question that we must ask ourselves. And sometimes people say, why does it matter? Why does it matter that this Hindu man would say to himself, Jesus is one of the main three gods I serve? Why does that matter? Well, let me make very clear. We believe that the Bible gives us a message that makes this matter. Those of us who are Christians, most of us in this room, probably believe in the Bible. If you are here and you don't believe the Bible, I'm glad you're here. I'd love to talk to you after the service. Come up to me. I can tell you, I can give you lots of evidence why we know for sure that the Bible is from God and is absolutely true. And the Bible gives us a very clear message. It gives us both bad news and it gives us good news. The bad news is all about us. It's about you and I. The good news is all about God. The bad news is that we are sinners, that we have chosen to reject God, and that we deserve to be separated from him for all of eternity. We have sinned, and there's a consequence to be paid for that sin. That's the bad news. The good news is that God loves you so much that he chose to make a way to rescue you. And by the way, God was under no obligation to save you. He didn't have to do it. 
He could have said, you want to sin? Fine. To hell with you. Literally. He could have said that. And guess what? He would not have been wrong if he had done that. But God, being rich in mercy, abounding in love, God says, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way for you to be rescued because I love you. And if you choose to put your faith in Christ and in Christ alone, as many of you surely have, you can be rescued. The good news applies to you. If Jesus truly is your number one, the good news applies to you. Here's the horrifying, tragic news. If Jesus is not your number one, the good news does not apply to you. You will never find satisfaction in this life if he's not your number one. Maybe you'll have a decent life or a good life compared to some others, but the ultimate satisfaction you will not find in this life. And more importantly, when you, when you leave and depart this life, if Jesus has not been your genuine number one, when you leave this life and you're thrust into eternity, it will not go well for you. But if you truly are a follower of Christ, as I would imagine many of you in this room are, and if you truly have made Jesus number one, the good news applies to you. You will find satisfaction in this life in Christ. Not a perfect life. In fact, the Bible is very clear. We're gonna, we are promised lots of pr trouble in this life. But when we face that, we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God comforting us and strengthening us in those moments. And then when we depart this life, when we step into eternity, if we have made Jesus number one, we stand before God. He says, well done. Come on and let's party forever. If you make Jesus number one, the good news truly applies to you. And so the question is this, is he really my number one? Or is he just number two, number three, or number four? And I love the lyric that song he's saying, he, he has, God, you have no rival. You have no equal. It's great to sing that on Sunday mornings. I would, I would assert that it is maybe better to live that out every day. This morning we're going to dive into a passage of scripture that I think gives us some insight on, on this particular idea. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8. If you can grab your Bibles or turn them on, whatever your preference may be. And feel free to scroll there or flip there. Mark chapter 8. For those of you who are going there, it's Mark chapter 8, verse 27. If you don't have a Bible, they'll put it on the screen. The book of Mark, what we know as the gospel of Mark, was written by, this, uh, by a young man by the name of John Mark. He had been on a missionary journey with Barnabas and Paul. And then eventually he skips out on it. He kind of deserts them and abandons them. And then later in life, Barnabas pulls him back in and mentors him. And then later in John Mark's life, he's actually mentored by the Apostle Peter. And the Apostle Peter, who had been mentored by Jesus, kind of downloads a bunch of information to John Mark. And John Mark documents all of it for us in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to read Mark chapter 8, verse 27. It says this, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? All right, so Jesus is now traveling. He's with his entourage, the young men that he's investing in. And they're traveling. And he's like, okay, guys, as we're traveling over here, uh, let's have a conversation. Now, of course, Jesus is going to ask a question that he already knows the answer to. But he wants to have a conversation about this. And he says to them, who do people say I am? He, he's walking with them. He's like, hey, back in Jerusalem, what are the rumors about me? What are people saying about me? 
Who do they say I am? Which, by the way, is the most important question in all of human history. It's the most important question that the disciples would ever be asked. And it's the most important question that you'll ever be asked as well. Who do you say Jesus is? Verse 28 says this. They answered him, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. They're they're saying to him, listen, Jesus, back in Jerusalem, there's some people saying that that the spirit that was on John the Baptist, his spirit is now on you. You're basically kind of like a, a spiritual reincarnated form of John the Baptist, clearing the way, calling people to repentance. And then there's other people that say that, that Elijah has come back again, that Elijah has been reincarnated or raised from the dead, and that you're actually Elijah. And then there's others that say, no, you're not John the Baptist, you're not Elijah, you're a whole different kind of prophet. And they're telling him the rumors. And then Jesus says to him in verse 29, but you, who do you say I am? Yeah, I know what they're saying. What do you say? Peter speaks up. Peter is sort of the ringleader. He's the oldest of the bunch. He speaks up. I I can imagine, you know, Jesus asks this question, who do you say I am? And they all kind of look at each other and they're like, all right, Peter, come on, Pedro, it's your turn. Speak up, brother. This is what what Peter says. He looks at Jesus and says, you're the Messiah. And it says that Jesus told them, he warned them not to tell anyone. Jesus was not yet at a point where he wanted to go public with his ministry just yet. Now, the word Messiah literally means savior or rescuer, the person who rescues. And to fully understand what Peter is saying here, we have to sort of understand the, the context. Because in the next verse, Jesus responds to Peter in a way that seems a little bit odd for someone who just referred to him as the Messiah. But if we do a little bit of study of world, of world history and first century Judaism, we kind of get a little bit of an insight. In the first century, the Jewish people were under Roman occupation. Many of you, I'm sure, know this. The Roman government, the Roman Empire, they had basically taken over most of the known world. They had come into Palestine and Israel and had brutally taken over. So the Jewish people were now slaves to the Romans. They were accountable or under the leadership of the Roman governor of that particular region. region. And they had to pay taxes, very high taxes, to the Roman Empire. And the Jewish people had been under oppression for many, many years. They had been in exile in Babylon. And then after that, the, the Greeks came in and the Macedonian Empire had decimated large parts of that region of the world. And then now they are under the occupation of the Roman government. For several centuries, for several generations, the Jews had been under the occupation or under the tyranny of some other government. And they believed that a Messiah was going to come one day and was going to show up and overthrow the Roman government. This was the common theology in the first century amongst the Jews. They knew God's going to send a human. They didn't know it was going to be God himself. God's going to send a Messiah. It's going to be a human being. And God's going to give this particular man supernatural power, just like he did back in the Old Testament with guys like Samson and Joshua and others. God is once again going to give a human man supernatural power. He's going to become a military dictator, a a military commander. He's going to raise up the Israel army. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. And then Israel is going to take over what was the Roman Empire. And Israel will be the nation that rules over all the other nations. And the Messiah is going to come to kill all of the people that have oppressed Israel. They took all the prophecies of the Old Testament and they twisted them because they thought that the Messiah's focus was to give them freedom here on planet Earth from a political empire. 
they didn't realize that there was a greater form of slavery that they were in. See, the Messiah was not focused on releasing them from the slavery of the Roman Empire. He had his sight set on something much bigger. But Peter didn't realize this. Side note, it's really easy to read the Bible and study the Bible and completely miss it if you're not looking for the right thing. See, Jesus knew they had this flawed theology. He knew they believed the wrong thing, and he addressed it. Verse 31. This is right after Peter says, you're the Messiah. Verse 31 it says, then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. So Jesus says, okay, who do they say I am? Oh, they think I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. Who do you say I am? Well, you're the Messiah. He goes, you got, you got that right, I am the Messiah. Then he begins to say, listen, what's going to happen to me? The political leaders are going to turn me, they're going to reject me. The, the, the spiritual leaders, they're going to reject me, they're going to beat me, they're going to kill me, but don't worry, I'm going to come back. It's always amazing to me that they were shocked that he died because he spoke very plainly about it to them. He's predicting what's going to happen to him. And here's how Peter responds in the second half of verse 32. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Think about this for a second. Jesus is God incarnate. God has come down and become a man. And he's mentoring Peter. And Peter has the audacity to rebuke Jesus. It, I can only imagine what probably happened. He's like, who do you think I am? You're the Messiah. Great. I'm going to die. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be beat. And Peter's thinking, I don't think Jesus knows what the Messiah is supposed to do. I think he's missing it. He goes, come, he pulls him aside. Come here. Come here. Come here, Jesus. I, you're talking about this old death thing. That's, that's not really how it's supposed to go down. You're not, you're not, no, not going to get rejected. Don't you know how the Messiah is, is going to come? That's you. You're going to overthrow the Roman government. And now, because I'm friends with you, I'm going to be high in command and have a lot of power. You're my meal ticket, Jesus. Don't talk about dying. Don't talk about suffering. You, you see, it's easy to look at Peter and go, well, how, how dare him say that? But the reality is, you and I, we do a lot of the same things. When things don't go the way we want them to go, we lash out at God. That's not the way it's supposed to be, God. Don't you know? We do that so often. When tragedy happens in our lives, this isn't supposed to go this way. When things don't go the way we want, you're, you're, you're single longer than you had hoped. You don't get the raise, the promotion you thought. Your wife doesn't respect you the way you think you deserve. We so often get mad at God because he hasn't become our meal ticket for us getting what we want. Here's how Jesus responds to Peter. Verse 33. He says, but turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. He, he basically looks at Peter and says, Peter, let me tell you something. Right now, you're focused on what you want, and you've made your own comfort and your own glory the priority. You're concerned with what you want. You're not concerned with what I want. Let me tell you something, Peter. You sound a lot like Satan right now. See, for many of us, 
we have become the most important character in our own story. And therefore, anytime a character comes in and doesn't praise us or elevate us, we get upset with that character. But here's the thing. It's not about you. It's never been about you. It will never be about you. It's all about God. It's always been all about God. It will always be all about God. Mm. This is what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the garden. God says, do it my way. And they go, nah, we kind of want to be like you. We want to do it our way. See, Peter was consumed with his own glory, his own fame, his own power, his own comfort, his own safety. He was not concerned with God's desires. And friends, if we do that, we begin to sound a lot like Satan. Then Jesus says this, verse 34, he brings a crowd together. And Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. These are harsh words from our Savior. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? You really want to find satisfaction in me in this life? You truly want to be with me forever? You truly want to be one of mine? Here's what you got to do. You ready? Die. What you want, what you, what you long for, what you're concerned about, that's all I got to die. And what I want and what, I'm care, what I care about, that better be number one in your life. That's why I asked the question when we started, is Jesus really number one? Or are there things that you, you are concerned about above what God is concerned about? See, the movie where you are the main character is a movie that we must delete. The story where you're the hero is a story that must be done away with. Why? In the very next verse, Jesus answers. He says this, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? He says, you want to you follow me? Take yourself, strap yourself to an electric chair and flip the switch. The, the, the cross was a form of execution in the first century. The most heinous and most brutal form of execution. Leave no room for you to supplant Jesus as number one. Anything that's going to get in the way of Jesus being number one, eradicate it, kill it, crucify it. Let me, let me read those verses again. I just, the words of Jesus are so powerful, so pointed here. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? And I, I, wanna, I wanna give you a, a quick illustration that I think maybe will help us kind of bring this point home. Are there any, any movie fans in the house? Raise your hand. Anyone? Like big movie fans? All right. I'm, I'm like a relatively, I'm not a huge movie fan, but I, I watch movies on occasion. And 
I heard a story a couple years ago that I thought was really interesting. There was a man by the name of Kenny Baker. He's an actor. Has anyone ever heard of Kenny Baker? Raise your hand. Anyone? Like all, there's like literally one, literally one. It's good. It's a two. It's good. It's good. All right. It's a great illustration. All right, put your hands down. Kenny Baker was an actor. He actually passed away about a year, about a year and a half ago or so, I think. Um, in the late 70s, his, his, his acting career was just getting going. Um, and he, was, he had been in a couple small roles and finally got his big break. He was offered a major role in a major movie from a major studio. And the name of the movie was going to be called UFO. You can put that graphic on the screen there. Has anyone ever seen the movie UFO? Raise your hand. All right. Uh, I don't think there's not one. I don't, not one. Okay. I didn't think so. Right. Has anyone even heard of the movie UFO? No, I didn't think so. Okay. Right. So Kenny Baker gets offered an opportunity to be in this movie called UFO. He's going to have a, a major role. He's going to be uh, one of the primary guys. He's going to have lots of lines. His face is going to be seen a lot. This was a big deal. I mean, if you're an aspiring actor, this is a major moment. At the same exact time, another studio called him and they said to him, hey, we want you to be in another movie, but it's a background role. It's kind of a small role. Um, you're not going to be, you're not going to have any lines. You're actually, no one's going to see your face. In fact, probably won't ever see your name. Um, and Kenny, Kenny Baker was like, I don't really want to do that. And so I'm going to go take this other movie over here. <clears throat> and so he ended up, he was going to reject the background role in the other movie. And so he's, he's in UFO, he's, he's getting ready for U, the film UFO. And then they call him and say, we're actually going to back up the filming. So they ended up backing the filming of UFO back like at least two years. So he could actually end up being in both movies. And so he ended up, okay, I'll, ta I'll take the other role. So he ended up taking this really small background role in this really small movie. You may have heard of it. Throw that graphic up. I mean, you, ever, you ever heard of this guy? You ever seen this character? Yeah. See, Kenny Baker was, uh, was he's uh, only four foot tall, less than four foot tall, and he uh, he played this role called R2-D2. You may have heard of this small movie called Star Wars. You may, you may have heard of that, right? Think about this. Kenny Baker wanted to be the hero of his own story so bad that he missed, almost missed out on the chance to be in the most epic movie ever in cinematic, in cinematic history. He was so focused on him being number one that he almost missed out in being in a much grander, much more successful story. It is better to be not seen and have no lines in Star Wars than to be the starring role of UFO. All right? Yeah. For the rest of his life, for the rest of his life, he gets to say, I was in Star Wars. Friends, this morning, the God of the universe is inviting you into a story far more epic than Star Wars. The tragedy is that many of us, we want to be the star of our own story so bad, and sometimes we reject the role in his story. So what do we do with this? If Jesus is not truly number one in your life, first thing is you repent. You say, God, I'm sorry. You need to be number one. And for those of you maybe who really are Christians, you love God, but Jesus so often gets the background, he gets pushed to the back seat. Today is the moment we say, God, I'm sorry. I know you love me. And you've invited me into your story. God, will you forgive me? Will you give me the grace to make you number one every moment of every day? That should be our prayer. This morning as we close, I want to read to you the lyrics of a song. And my encouragement to you is to make this song your prayer. Not just today, but all the days of your life. This, is, this song is uh, called Background. It came out in 2009. It's by a guy by the name of Lecrae. Any Lecrae fans in the house? All right, we got a few. All right, we got a few. Good. It's good. Uh, in 2009, he came out with a song called Background. They're going to put the lyrics 
on the screen. I want to I read you the lyrics. I want you to just follow along with me. And as I read them, I want you to think to yourself, Lord, I want this to be my prayer. Hear the words. He says this. I could play the background. I could play the background. Because I know sometimes I get in the way. So won't you take the lead, lead, lead. Won't you take the lead, lead, lead. I could play the background, the background. You could take the lead. Here's the first verse. It's evident you run the show, so let me back down. You take the leading role. I'll play the background. I know I miss my cues. I know I forget my lines. I'm sticking to your script. I'm reading all your signs. I don't need my name in lights. I don't need a starring role. Why gain the whole wide world if I'm just going to lose my soul? And my ways ain't purified. Don't live according to your word. I can't endure this life without your wisdom being heard. So word to every dancer for a pop star, because we all play the background. But mine, he's a rock star. Yeah, so if you need me, I'll be stage right. Praying the whole wide world starts embracing stage fright. So let me fall back. Stop giving my suggestions. Because when I follow my obsessions, I end up confessing that I'm not that impressive. Matter of fact, I'm who I are. A trail of stardust leading to the superstar. We're not the superstar. We're the stardust. Nothing more. He's the superstar. Yo, I had a dream that I was captain of my soul. I was master of my fate. Lost control and then I sank. So I don't want to take the lead because I'm prone to make mistakes. All these folks who follow me, they're going to end up in the wrong place. So let me shadow you. Let me trace your lines. Matter of fact, just take my pen. Here, you create my rhymes. Because if I do this by myself, I'm scared that I'll succeed and no longer trust in you because I only trust in me. And see, that's how you ended. And that's how you end up headed to destruction, paving a road to nowhere, pouring out your life for nothing. You pulled my card, I'm bluffing. You know what's in my hand. Me, I just roll and trust you. You cause the dice to land. I'm in control of nothing. I'll follow you at any cost. Some call it sovereign will. All I know is you the boss. And man, I'm so at ease. I'm so content. I'll play the background like it's an instrument. I know I'm safest when I'm in your will and trust your word. I know I'm dangerous when I trust myself. My, my vision blurred. And I ain't got no time to play life's foolish games. Got plenty aims, but do they really glorify your name? Man, I got plenty aims, but do they really glorify your name? And it's a shame the way I want to do these things for you, yet don't even cling to you or take time to sit and glean from you. It seems like you were patient in my ignorance. If ignorance is bliss because she never heard of this. I could play the background because I know sometimes I get in the way. So Jesus, will you take the lead? 
Will you take the lead? Will you take the lead? I'll play the background. You take the lead. Friends, don't give up your chance to be in God's story just because you want to be the hero of your own story. Go play the background. Let Jesus be number one. Let him take the lead. Let's pray. Jesus, would you do that in our hearts? Would you transform us and help us get to the point where we genuinely make you number one? God, forgive me for the moments in my life where you've, where you've been number two or number three or number 10 or number 50 or further down the list. God, I am sorry. So many times I've done that. But I know that you love me and you invite me back home. Give us the grace to do that, to, to come back to you, to repent, to love you well. In Christ's name. I never want to stand just for a moment. I want to stand. If, um, if you're in this place and, uh, and you would say, Kenny, I, I'm not really a believer. I'm not really a follower of Christ. I'm, maybe I've never really made a commitment or professional follow of Jesus, but you feel the Spirit of God grabbing your heart today. If that's you, with, with all eyes open, I want to ask you a question. If you've never put your faith in Christ, or maybe many years ago you did and you walked away, and today you say, today is a day where I want to say, yes, Jesus, you're number one. If that's you, would you raise your hand really high? Would you raise your hand really high? God's, you think, great, you can put your hands down. Praise praise God. Man, Jesus. Man, we love you, Jesus. And if you're a Christian here this morning and you love God, but you've had moments, maybe you're in a season right now where he's not number one. Maybe you've been, maybe Jesus is one of the gods you serve. You this morning as well, his grace is for you as well. And if that's you, uh, if you feel like I'm in a season like that, would you raise your hand as well? Would you raise your hand? If that's you, feel like, man, I'm in a season where like Jesus has not been number one. Awesome, put your hands down. I'm going to pray for those of you who raised your hands. Lord, I thank you for these people who are honest enough and courageous enough to raise their hands. I just pray that you would give them your grace and the ability to Put all their hope and all their faith and all their trust in Christ, in Christ alone. And I pray for all of us that we'd walk out of this place realizing that you have no equal, you have no rival, and that we, we're the background. Lord, you take the lead in our lives. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.